The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm Dave Hennessy. Very excited for this podcast, the first of 2019. Sitting down with somebody we've been trying to have as a guest on the podcast for about a year now. Lisa Kelly Croswell, the CHRO of Boston Medical Center. Boston Medical Center plays a unique role in the very expansive Boston healthcare industry. Lisa also discussed how she is driving the change of HR inside the organization. And you'll hear why Lisa is one of the people really reshaping the HR function. Next up on the podcast is Melanie Foley, the Chief Talent Officer at Liberty Mutual Insurance. And now, I bring you my conversation with Lisa Kelly Groswell. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dave. Great to have you. And, um, you know, we usually like to start off the podcast to find out a little bit about our guests outside of the business. And... Wondering a little bit about your early life and how maybe something early in your life that led you to this path of human resources leadership and or person or or something that you think about that you call back on and say, oh, that kind of got me going in this direction. I, I certainly didn't think I was going to be in human resources when I started off. In fact, I, I had no idea what it was, <laughs> but my bachelor's degree is in finance and the last summer internship I had was working in a bank and the bank leaders decided that they were going to try out an in a leadership development program and use the interns as guinea pigs and so yeah it was a pilot (laughs) and so they applied the leadership development course to us and afterwards I said I really like that and how how do I do that and the, the concepts, the, person, the experience, the tra- how the trainer, all the stuff that was right. going on. You I did, yeah. and 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 what the the outcome was, which was if you develop leaders in the best possible way, they drive business outcomes. So I'd been in the finance area for so long, and so I I, I was sort of pretty much an outcomes focused person. Mm. So the reverse of this, which was. Um, how do you drive business outcomes through people just kind of hit me in an interesting way. Wow. I asked them, well, how do I do this? And they said, well, you need a master's degree. And I said, well, where do I get a master's degree? And they said, funny enough, where you're in school right now, which was University of Illinois and mm. Champaign, Illinois, is the number two program for labor and industrial relations uh, in the country. Right. Um, so I happened to be right there. And I, I Cornell found- Cornell must be in the other one, right? Cornell is, is number one. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so I- But you were right there in your backyard. I was right there. And, yeah. you know, so I found out what this was about. And I stayed for graduate school and then uh, took my first job out of college on on-campus recruiting at, uh, at Frito-Lay, making potato chips. So, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And the finance background. Oh, we do not hear a lot of people coming into the HR people strategy field from finance, yeah. but I bet it serves you so well. It now. does. You know, all the guests I've been talking to, the way the HR function is evolving and having technical and marketing and financial skills is so valuable. Can you speak to that a little bit about how that's helping you in your work? Yeah, it, it makes a huge difference because I think, I'll just say my own 
my own philosophy is that the most important thing is what the organization is trying to accomplish. What What's our vision? What are our goals? What's our strategy? And then everything else works backwards mm. from there, including the HR or people side of things. Mm. And so knowing that up front and having been, you know, at least academically trained in uh, understanding what business levers are important, I, I still to this day start there and work backwards and say, what are the, the people or organizational levers that are actually going to drive the, the business outcomes that we're looking for. Right. That's amazing. Of course, this organization, you have so many stakeholders. There's financial concerns, but there's so many connections to Boston University, to the city, to the state, to the people that you serve in the community. In fact, your mission is exceptional care without exception. And I think you're a unique healthcare organization in Boston. I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that, that mission statement or that, what do you call those, slogans or you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Uh, what you live by yeah. and what it means to be practicing HR in this organization. It's been quite fascinating. We, um, our, our hospital started in 1864. And I often say that we're digging out of 1864 for for some things that we've been been working on. But it has a it's a great history and um, has evolved over time. the The latest piece of evolution happened just over 20 years ago, where Boston City Hospital, which was the city hospital that was actually run by the city, mm. and Boston University Hospital merged and became Boston Medical Center. And at that point in time, uh, it became, you know, not not public institution mm. any longer. It's a nonprofit mm-hmm. um, organization that brought together those those two institutions. And a teaching hospital like Tufts and exactly. Harvard Medical School. Exactly, right, right, right. it's also a teaching hospital. And as you said, many different stakeholders. So it, it, it gets a, it gets a little bit complicated. But mm-hmm. about the time the the last evolution be, becoming Boston Medical Center, um, really that that is where the the mission was was codified at that time mm. of exceptional care without exception. Sure, it's an institution that's about. Um, and, and when we think about the whole health system, which includes a managed care plan, a lot of people don't know we own an insurance plan as okay, well. Right. It's about a $3 billion business mm-hmm. organization. Just to give you a little bit of, of, of scale, we see over a million people in our outpatient clinics, clinics a year. Wow. So a million people coming through our doors for the outpatient side, about 25,000. How many sites is that? That's just right here. Just and here, a million people. A million people coming come through. Come to this campus. They come to, to this, this campus, campus every year. Wow. Uh, we have about 25,000 inpatient visits a year, so people who come in and have to stay in the hospital. Right. We have about, as you mentioned, it's a teaching hospital. Mm. So we have over 700 residents um, that work here mm-hmm. and are you know, learning to be physicians, attending sure. physicians. Sure. Um, we have over 3,000 emergency room visits a week. So 3,000 people walking through our doors. It's on an the, emergency situation. On an emergency Is it basis. number one in the city for emergency visits? Yeah, it's we're the By largest. Yeah. yeah, we're the you know the largest level one trauma center um, in New England, mm. and it's the eighth busiest emergency room in the United States. Wow. So one of the things that is our our bread and butter is uh, is trauma. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it's being able to take care of patients who come and have traumatic sure. events happen. Mm. So. so when you got here four years ago, uh-huh. I think it is, Yeah. what were the things, what, were you hired for a specific reason and or what did you tackle first when you came here? I'm sure you saw our opportunity. I hear yeah. that you're somebody that has an incredible amount of energy from people <laughs> on your staff uh-huh. and that people are so surprised by how much energy you have. So yeah. I know you came in with energy. And yes. where did you pour that energy into? And was it um, was it a directive or did you have to yeah. carve it all out for yourself? I'm just curious. First steps well, and what you did. Yeah, it's really interesting because this was my first hospital and my first nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And um, although you did what, work in close to patients at Vertex, right? Because I did. Still, you were I close did. to the healthcare yes. sector so, in your last role, but right, but yeah. right. That was in in biotechnology, and right. then prior to that, I was in managed care. I worked for Cigna Healthcare, so the whole health care realm was, the whole life cycle formed. right that's right um being a uh, on the provider what we call the provider side or the or the hospital side mm. it's a little you know you think you know because you're dealing with patients in managed care and you're dealing with patients in biotech mm-hmm. but when you're dealing with an institution that's 24 7 you know it doesn't shut down 365 days right um and as you mentioned with all kinds of stakeholders it's a little bit different. What do they say, repairing the airplane while it's in flight or something? Or yes, some analogies yes, like, yes, yes, building the plane while you're flying it. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so I was really excited to come because our CEO, Kate Walsh, she was like one of the most amazing, you know, people, human beings and, and CEOs that I've worked with, she, um, said her stated goal was transformation. Mm. Um, so in this era of healthcare reform, transformation is a must mm. the steeper financial pressures the what's happening in the market in terms of anything recently we know for example that CVS is acquiring Aetna oh, right so all kinds the full of integration of healthcare exactly right, right. all of those things well are you already moving. talked about it with you having insurance and health managed care under your roof right exactly right. and so all of these things are are happening so the 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 healthcare landscape is evolving so quickly if we're going to compete and if we're going to be able to, to deliver exceptional care without exception, mm-hmm. uh, we have to change. And mm-hmm. we have to change in ways that are not just incremental, but change in ways that are transformative. Sure. And so I, I was excited to hear that that was her agenda. And she said, come in, you have a, a white sheet, a whiteboard um, to come and do what you think is the right thing to do. Mm. And because this is a place that is uh, so fluid and so dynamic, uh, it was an opportunity to come in, match that culture of mm. fluidity and dynamism with what our people agenda would be. There might be others out there that are wrestling with what you had to wrestle with four years ago mm-hmm. in HR. Yeah. And do you have any advice about making that shift? Things you learned about, okay, how do we bring it up to speed with what everything that's going on, all the best practices in HR yeah. today. Yeah. I would say just a couple of things. One is it really is back to the do something. It's back to establishing a couple of proof points that demonstrate that some action that you actually take mm. is going to move something forward. And that opens the door for people to ask for more. Ah. But also if I think about what is going to help us 
get to our targets, whether, you know, most organizations have a cost or revenue, you know, operating income, they have a quality, mm. service, safety, mm. whatever, balance scorecard right. um, type of measures. Every organization sort of has that. And if, if you're not understanding what those are and then figuring out what are the actions you can take to to make a difference either directly or indirectly in in that mm. then you're not bringing value right. I'm, I'm sort of the tom brady school of um i don't know if you ever heard him interviewed um about but, a thousand times okay so i almost don't miss an interview with yeah, him. okay so you hear that if and, that's not weird no i i, I, I you know i, I i'm I'm, I'm a Tom Brady fan as well, and I don't think that's weird at all. And I, you know, one of his lines that he says over and over again in different ways is, we do our talking on the field. Mm. And I think, I'll, you know, many times in other HR organizations that I've been a party to, we sometimes, and it's not all bad, but we sometimes we talk about what's not working or what needs to work or what needs to be done differently. Mm. Well, part of it is our job, coaching, advising, sure. sharing information. So we do have to talk. Right. And, you know, I think where you can start becoming exceptional is you're actually doing something. Right. So I like to say we do our talking on the field. That's right. The organization, um, the employees see it, the patients see it. And exactly. That's... You you may throw an interception mm-hmm. and you have to go sit on the bench. <laughs> right. But you equally, And learn from that. Yeah. And learn from that right. and redo it. But you may also throw a touchdown. But you have to throw. Right. To, to back to, to your point about To figure action. out, yes, right. to figure out whether one of those things is going to happen. If right. you don't throw anything at all, you can be assured. <laughs> There'll be zero points. That's exactly <laughs> right. And so that's the kind of mindset that right. we've Right, that's how here. you approach things. Yeah. What are you wrestling with now? As mm-hmm. you're looking towards the next couple of years, what are you hoping to, what's the next generation of yeah, I your think... people strategy, I guess, is... Yes, I think we have now established a vision and a set of values uh, that they complement our, our mission. Mm. And we t- it took a while because um, including the organization has so many things going going on. Sometimes people think of a vision as um, our CEO called it. It's something that ends up on a T-shirt. Mm. And it's not something that ends up being actionable. Right. And so we took a, a little bit of time to really craft uh, a vision that's make Boston the healthiest urban population in the world. That is our vision. Mm. And once we some got it out there. Some people can get behind that, some right? Some people it's can like, be, get behind. Right. And all of the things that are happening with healthcare reform and accountable care. Right. Those things and social determinants of health. Can you talk about that one? Yeah, social, social determinants. Yeah. yeah it's basically, what social determinants of health means in a nutshell is that Study after study shows that human health is not just about what's happening clinically mm. with you. and It is in large part impacted by other things that are happening socially. Mm. So whether it is your education, housing, food. Family situation. Transportation. Right, right. Any of these the kinds of things. The whole ecosystem is... That's exactly right. 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 And study after study says that it those things can have a more profound impact on whether you're actually healthy or not than, you know, just your regular clinical things mm. that you would you would check. Right. One of our most profound learnings happened 
a few months before I joined, which was when the Boston Marathon bombings oh. happened. And you'll remember, yes. you know, the, the injuries and the deaths. But one of the first things I heard when I came that links to this, you know, kind of whole health kind of thinking was the employees, you know, obviously it was a, it was, it was a horrible situation mm. and the impact on the healthcare workers was horrible. Mm. And because of our particular expertise in trauma, we, we see trauma a lot. Mm. And you see so, the majority of but those cases. this was over the top. Yeah. Um, and then the next, in the, the coming time, days and, right. after that, we continued to see trauma mm. and all of a sudden, our, our people who said, we see this every day, and this was so horrific that we're taking a step back and saying, how are we helping ourselves? Mm-hmm. And are we really okay, or are we just used to it? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we did um, last year was we actually hired a what we call a, a resiliency coach. Um, she's a licensed clinical social worker, mm. and it's almost EAP on steroids right. and on site. Right. So it's not waiting for anybody to a person to come directly to her. She's out on the floors, walking around, talking present, to people. Available. Present, available, mm-hmm. yeah. and then also starting to do some active programming where. You know, normally most people have an EAP, and so if somebody has a problem, you pick up the phone, you call. Mm. This is for individuals and groups before you have a problem or understanding what the work environment is like. Right, some awareness um, around. Some awareness, and then helping yeah. people identify problems that they don't even know they have. Oh, I wanted to talk to you about another practice that you have in here called the Graken Center for oh, Substance yeah. Abuse and Addiction. And, yeah. I, you know, you hear a lot about this, you know, with the state and city government getting involved. And can you talk a little bit about this center and what this means to the community and to Boston Medical Center? Yeah, this is, we were fortunate enough uh, about a year ago to receive a $25 million gift from the Graken family here in Boston mm-hmm. to uh, establish the Graken Center mm-hmm. for Addiction Medicine. And it really was um, just sort of, first of all, we're very appreciative of it. And it's really was shining a bright light on an area that Boston Medical Center has had expertise in for a very long time. Mm-hmm. You know, for, I would say for the, for the last 20 years, we've been established as experts in treating substance use disorders. Right. And, you know, the state and people all, all across the, the country have, mm-hmm called on uh, on us because of the different programming right. that we've had right um, and it's a it's a place that's a very um, humble place so we don't talk about it we don't talk about all of our programming but with the institution of the Graken Center it's like okay how can we do you know the greatest amount of good right um, for the greatest number of people that's mm. one of the kind of the background th- the part of the background and the mindset of what we're trying to do with the Graken Center okay so it's largely about how do we provide our clinical expertise and support nationally. Okay. Um, so one of the things that happened this year was uh, there was a, a question came up about, hmm, can we translate that ex- that expertise to helping other employers? So that started coming up in a, in a number of different ways ah. and not just the clinical community, but how do we help other employers 
who are now facing in really big ways issues with with their employees and substance mm. use disorder. It's sure. you know it's a it's, it's an all time yes. high. Absolutely. So we kind of started again with a white sheet and we built what we call an employer resource library that has a number of different sections in it with examples of actions an employer can take to help support their employees with substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. So it was not just a a list of, you know, when we did some research of how should we think about this, there are a lot of, you know, a number of places that talk about things that you can do. Mm -hmm. There weren't a lot of places that talked about how do you do it. Ah. Um, So for every sort of chapter, we have this is what you might want to do as an employer and here's an example. So you might want to engage your organization in the facts around substance use disorder. Here is a PowerPoint presentation that you can take right off of our site and present put to your, your yeah, right, right, put your logo on it and present to your employers. Wow. How do we look at what substance use disorders are costing your organization? Um, oh, there's metrics should, on that? Yes. So you should you should look at how much it's costing your organization. Right. Because you have it then, on average. Exactly. You know. So right. then we have a, a guide that says, look at these five metrics. Some of them should go up. Some of them should go down. Mm. Um, and you can see where you are and some of the kinds of things that you should do about it. Wow. We're really excited to get something out there. Right. Um, we recently went to the, when we released it, we went to the, the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce. They were kind enough to host us. And we, we were on a panel with uh, Suffolk Construction mm-hmm. because, you know, substance use disorder and opiates is, is huge in the, in the construction industry. Right. And we tag teamed a conversation about this. So, mm. so yes, you can, you can go and uh, find the library. And then Michael Botticelli, who's the executive director of the Graken Center. Oh, yes. Um, he was, uh, he worked in the White House with President Obama right. for eight years. Right. On I did this hear topic. about that. Yes. Yes. He, also raises his name quite often to come out and do talks. So he leads, he's the leader? He's the the leader and the executive director of the Graken Center. Yes. Yeah. She's some star power too, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. He's he's terrific. Yeah. Nero has a young professionals group. I don't know if you knew it. It's called Nero YP. All right. I like it. And we have the podcast in Keystone. We produce the podcast in cooperation with Nero. In fact, you have a, I think you said you've had somebody go through the NERA Women's Leadership Program. Recently. Yes, so, yes. Uh, you were just talking about that before we started yes, recording. So give awesome. that a little plug for the Thank NERA Thank you. Yes, give, that's team. great. We're excited about that. Okay. And this question comes from one Sarah Dumont from Essex Partners. She's okay. She's a member of NERA YP. And okay. she's also... She also happens to be the producer of the Hennessy Report. It is sitting right here with us. All right. In fact, we're going to have Sarah ask the question for you. Thank you, Sarah. So I'm curious. I looked this up. By 2025, millennials will make up about 75% of the workforce. And I was wondering if you have a specific strategy to retain and grow millennial employees here at BMC, and if that strategy differs from something you would do with Gen X or Gen Z. My short answer is I don't have a strategy yet for it. And, and we need one. I would say that there are a couple of things that I would think about to get started. One is we do have a very active 
Young Professionals Employee Resource Group here at Boston Medical Center. And uh, they formed about two years ago, and they're very active in working on career development. They're very active in the community and in volunteering. And they're very active in really wanting to take action to support the goals and strategy of the organization. So I'm really proud of them. And Thank you for that answer, Lisa. I have another question for you. I was wondering, outside of the HR industry, I find that other people tend to have a negative stigma about HR. How would you talk to somebody that thinks HR is sort of the the bad police here at BMC? Mm, That's a great question. The first thing I would say is that uh, this is definitely a field that you don't go into if you're if you want to be popular, uh, because <laughs> there is that stigma, and I think it's I think it's it's gotten much better over time. But I think it's going to be it's going to stick around for a little bit because it's part of the nature of some of the things that we do um, are uncomfortable for people. So so I'll just start with that. Having said that, the most profound thing that anybody ever said to me about this field was my sister. She said, she said, Lisa, our human resources department is neither human nor a resource. (laughs) And that just, that stuck with me ever since. And so my approach has been um, to make sure those two places are covered. <laughs> and um, so it, it really starts with being really focused on, on humanity and really understanding that, um, you know, people are people. Mm-hmm. And yes, they may be employees once they join your organization, but they don't leave their soccer mom hat or their church leadership or their art if they're artistic they don't leave that on the doorstep when they walk in the door right and so our goal is to one of the goals and one of my principles is to make sure that we're talking to and interacting with and taking actions that relate to people on the most fundamental human level as opposed to the employee level. So that's the human side. And then on the resource side, it really is making sure that we're listening to what people are telling us Mm. they need. So one of my common questions is, how do I make life easier for you? Mm. What barriers can I remove for you? And um, that that, that it's just a slightly different way than saying, hey, the HR functional approach is, What's your benefits? What are your compensation? How do we do recruiting? You know, how how do we do employee relations? You have to do all of that. Right. Um, but if you're walking into it backwards from what what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. The you you come at it and the 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 priorities that you set, what you're going to do first can oftentimes be different than what your functional HR head says that you need to do. And when you do that, when you're addressing and providing resources for what's most fundamental, for what what people are trying to accomplish, they start to um, have a different view on what what you're about as 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 a function. That's right. 
Lisa, if you could go back and give advice to the 25 or 30-year-old Lisa, mm-hmm. write a letter of advice to you then, mm-hmm. what would you write? I probably would write two things. Number one, I would write something that goes back to something I heard in a, uh, a program called Women Unlimited. Um, it's a developmental and coaching organization for women here in Boston. Mm-hmm. And one of the lines they use frequently is, think excellence, not perfection. The way to actually accelerate progress is not to get bogged down in all of the details and yeah, it reminded of, it reminds me of our earlier conversation about doing something. Right? Yes, right? yes. You can't it, wait till it's perfect. Exactly. Yeah. It also exactly. reminds me of a, a, a musician I love, Regina Spector. Do you know Regina Spector? Mm-hmm. She's but she has this line she shouts out in a song a few yeah. times: "Good is better than perfect." Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's exactly. similar to what you're it's saying. Very, yeah. It's very, very similar. So I, I think I would have been able to drive more value, contribute more. And I find that now if if I, it's, it's, it's almost a mindset, think excellence, not perfection. Mm. And then the second thing I would say is be resilient. If you could go to dinner with any person, who would it be and why? The person I would would have gone to dinner with was Mother Teresa. My first question to her would be, how do you do it? Uh, Which is, how do you... The inspiration, the continuing to be hands-on with people who need it and be a strategic inspirational influence across the world, sometimes doing both of those things in the same day, in the same hour, Mm. I think was extraordinary. And I think when I think about leaders, whether it's around the country or the world or here at Boston Medical Center, that is something that kind of has to happen in a world that runs at the pace that our world is running at today. Right. You feel like you, you can't keep up and serve everybody right. and, and make you, everybody... You have to be able yeah. to do the kind of the one-on-one thing, support on the ground, and you have to be inspiring and in a big way. Mm. And she, I thought she was the most prolific person in be, being able to do do that mm. and also have a high level of emotional intelligence mm. um, throughout. Right. So that, that's, that's good, who I would have good, dinner with. Interesting. My last question, a book that changed your life. I think it's a book that it may not be familiar to many people. It's called The Other 90% by oh. Robert Cooper. Oh, I don't know it. And he also wrote a book called Executive EQ. And what I like about it and why it was transformational is the book about executive EQ was, was written around the time people started talking about emotional intelligence. And so for me, when it's a combination of I'll call it science and data and studies and humanness. Mm. And when we blend both of those together, and I would add stories. So you add data and stories about who you can become Mm. and how to remain or become more emotionally intelligent. Mm. That has been sort of a foundation for me. And you go back to that. I go back to that, yeah. That's cool. Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. This was a great discussion. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you, Sarah, as well. 
Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.